0: Welcome to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. We meet each Sunday online and in person at 1030 AM. You can find the Bernie Church of Christ at number one, Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. With today's message, here's our youth and family minister, Jacob Dukes. I have a
1: love-hate relationship with endings. The ending of anything is is kind of a, a, a difficult matter for me. Um, there are good endings um, as far as, you know, movies and TV shows and books go. There are good endings that come about where all the storyline is resolved, all the little details and nuances of the story come together um, to form one big culmination, and it's satisfying. Um, I have to give you a brief spoiler alert. There are some endings I will be talking about. So if I mention a movie or a show or something like that that you have not seen yet, feel free to plug your ears. Um, but as far as um, one of the greatest endings in recent cinematic history, I believe, um, was just a few years ago in, in the culmination of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Avengers Endgame. In Avengers Endgame, you had this um, great um, capitalization on two of the most pivotal characters in the entire franchise. A selfish Iron Man, Tony Stark, sacrifices his life, the thing he valued above all else, he sacrifices it to save the entire universe, or at least their universe. Then as well, a selfless Captain America who is constantly giving up his time and his effort and his life for those around him, finally learns to be just a little bit selfish and lives out his days with the true love of his life, Peggy Carter. That is a good ending, at least I think so. There are some very bad endings. Um, last year, or it was two years ago now, um, this whole pandemic has thrown me off by a year in, in my memories, but uh, two years ago now, at our Christmas lock-in, as a youth group, we went together to go see uh, the last Star Wars film in the Skywalker saga, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, and I remember sitting there in the theater and hearing everybody laugh out loud at what happened at the very end. One of the pivotal characters in this trilogy, this part of the franchise, Kylo Ren, his death is so sudden that it was laughable. The man just kisses his true love, possibly, and then falls as if he's been suddenly poisoned and disappears as a result of the force. That is a terrible ending. When most of the audience witnessing this for the very first time is laughing at this man's demise, that is a terrible ending. I have a, a love-hate relationship with endings. There's, there's good endings. There's bad endings. There's many times where my wife, Faith Ann, and I will be watching a TV show or a movie, um, and I love the show. I love it. And we get to the end, and I hate it. Because the ending is just so unsatisfying. But there's good things about endings as well. There are some things that you cannot wait for them to come to an end. Um, And if this makes any sense to you at all, there are some things that are worth coming to an end, especially construction on Interstate 10 right outside our doors. Yeah. (laughs) I bet I get a few amens for that. Um, Another thing that is so satisfying when it comes to an end is obviously the traffic on I-10 as well, when you sit in it either going to work or coming home. And lastly, as far as my part of the world, something that is so satisfying when it comes to an end is those dreaded youth group lock-ins, where you have to stay up all night, and you are drowsy, to be honest, you've maybe fallen asleep a couple of times, um, you've maybe lost a couple of kids in the, in the vicinity that you're in, um, but things, you know, turn out all right, um, and those lock-ins come to an end, and everything works out okay. Now, I know I'm probably not alone in my love-hate relationship of endings. Endings are a, a difficult matter to approach. Endings can be fairly emotional. Saying goodbye to something that is um, heavily invested in one's life or that's important to you is is hard. There are milestones in life that result in endings for people um, that you'll never get to experience again, that closes the chapter on an era. Now, it should not surprise us then that the biblical narrative itself has an ending as well. And I believe that Jesus is teaching on um, how to live in spite of life's unpredictable end is one of his more weightier teachings. And you see it here in Luke chapter 21, verses 8 through 9, that Bill read for us. It reads, He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first but the end will not come right away. Now, if you're picking up anything at all from, from, from what kind of ending I'm inferring to, I'm, I'm not talking about death, but rather I'm talking about what we categorize as the end times, the end of the world, or rather the day of the Lord, which leads us into a deeper theological discussion for us to have. When talking about end times, one must approach the topic of millennialism, and no, I am not referring today at all to the so infamous generation of 30 and 40-year-olds, but this is what I'm talking about in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God." They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, this concept of millennialism is a theological perspective that is grounded in this scene in Revelation, um, as well as other teachings from Jesus throughout the Gospels, as well as throughout prophetic literature on end times, Millennialism is a theological perspective that believes that Christ will one day return to the earth, lock the devil up in a prison, and then reign with his followers upon the earth for a thousand years in total peaceful bliss. Now there's different types of of thought on millennialism. There's three very specific ones. There's premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. And I'm not going to bore you with a discussion on each of those today, but we're going to focus just mostly on one, and that would be premillennialism. So for our purposes, we're going to focus on premillennialism, which lines up exactly with our definition already stated of the thousand-year reign that is to come as described in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Now, in the early to mid-1900s, as Churches of Christ were branching off and making a name for themselves, apart from their sister congregations of what is known as the Stone Campbell Movement, as Churches of Christ branched off and were making a name for themselves, there were different traditions that started to be established, um, especially in regards to the more populated geographic areas that these churches were founded in. Um, There were two main traditions that dominated um, this age in the early to mid-1900s. The first one is the Tennessee tradition, and the second one is the Texas tradition. And they differed on some very different perspectives as far as their theological beliefs. The Tennessee tradition believed in a renewed earth, that the earth would be renewed and we would see a new earth and a new heaven all coming about, as it says in Revelation. Whereas the Texas tradition identified more with the destruction and chaos of Revelation, where the earth would be annihilated and all would be laid bare, as it says in Second Peter. The Tennessee tradition talks as well about a personal presence of the Holy Spirit within the hearts and minds of every believer, that the Spirit embodies the soul of every Christian. Whereas in the Texas tradition, they believe that the Spirit's work was really more limited to the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the Scriptures as we know them. And there are many other examples, but finally, the Tennessee tradition focused more on preaching God's redemption through Jesus, whereas the Texas tradition focused more on preaching God's requirements for salvation. Now you can see that they're, they're coming from two very far different ends of the spectrum, and they would often mix in between, and proponents of the Texas tradition versus proponents of the Tennessee tradition would often intermingle with one another. So millennialism turned out to be one of the bigger threats during this age um, between the two different traditions, beginning just as a matter of debate for them, just as a matter of debate for them to gather together and talk about their perspectives and maybe come to a common understanding or maybe not, but it was amicable
0: until it became more of a matter of disfellowship. You are listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. To learn more about us, please visit our website, berniechurchofchrist.org, or follow us on Facebook. Now, with the rest of today's message, here's youth and family minister Jacob Dukes.
1: And a couple uh, Stone Campbell historians put it this way in their um, large um, collection of uh, Stone Campbell history and Stone Campbell movement. This book writes um, The foundational principle of the Tennessee tradition. Was, the, was that um, God was working to bring the universe fully under divine rule to usher in completely the kingdom of God, meaning they believed that the kingdom had not fully come, but was still to come. Versus the Texas tradition, the Texas theological agenda, focused more on human action to restore the true church rather than on God's work. And its spirituality focused more on human achievement Than the work of the Spirit and God's bringing in the kingdom. Now, one's perspective on the arrival of the kingdom of God and the means by which um, God intends to bring it about or has already done so um, is sure to determine one's theological framework for a life on earth in the meantime that as we wait for the return of Christ as promised in Revelation chapter 20 and as elsewhere throughout Scripture, one's understanding of the kingdom already established or still to come is sure to foundationally provide our framework for what life looks like in the meantime. Now, regardless of where you line up, if you identify with more of the Texas tradition or the Tennessee tradition, or if you think a little bit of both ways, Regardless of where you line up in your beliefs, uh, between the old standards of the Tennessee tradition versus the old standards of the Texas tradition, Scripture is quite clear that we must accept a present future reality when it comes to the kingdom of God, meaning that the kingdom of God has both come and has yet to come fully. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses three through seven, um, the famous apostle Peter puts it this way, he says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly in second peter the author writes from the perspective of this being his last words a final testament to his ministry If we're to assume that Peter is the author of this letter, then we must assume that Peter has waited his entire life for Christ's return, that Peter has waited his entire life for Christ to come down and bring him home to heaven. And yet, near the final days of Peter's life, as he faces his promised martyrdom at the hands of the Roman Empire, the promise then remains unfulfilled. And it leaves us as the reader questioning if God will ever fulfill that promise. And it leaves us questioning every promise God has made. Yet here is our hope in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Peter writes, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. With the, Lord, uh, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now the compelling thing about Peter's words here are the fact that God is patient with us rather than us being patient with God. As we sit here in the meantime and live our lives in expectation of the return of Christ in the same manner in which Peter lived out his final days expecting this promise to be fulfilled and then questioning if it ever will, God is the one being patient with us. Now, if we're going to be waiting a while for this ending, endings are very much anticipated. Endings are very much looked forward to and cause lots of anxiety. And if there's any ending that causes the most anxiety of all, it would be the ending of all. So, if we're going to be waiting a while for this ending that has long been anticipated, what does life look like in the meantime? Well, Jesus responds like this in what Bill read for us as well in Luke chapter 21 verses 34 through 36. Jesus said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And I love Jesus's words there as recorded by Luke, because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says the exact same thing, but the wording of Luke is a little bit different where he says, the day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Peter did not write his letters just as just to get one final word in, or just to speak against one final opponent, or just to do one final thing, one final movement um, to oppose, or one final false teacher to outcast. But Peter wrote to his audience things that he had already taught them, things that they already knew, just so that they may continue to be instructed in the way Christ and Peter had intended them to be and so that way that they may proceed forward in the very same way that Christ intended them to move forward this is how peter envisions growth for god's people in second peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter invites us to build upon our faith. This layering of words of faith to uh, faith to goodness, goodness to knowledge, knowledge to self-control, self-control to perseverance and so on and so forth. This layering on of words, Peter invites us to continue to grow. As Christians, that in the meantime, as we live out our lives upon this earth, waiting for the unexpected and unpredictable return of Christ, we must continue to strive for greatness and righteousness and perfection as our Father in heaven is perfect. We know that as Christians, we will not live up to that high standard. We can strive and push and move forward as much as we please, but we know that we will never live up to it. In the meantime, you and I are called to live into that present reality, that present future reality that Christ will one day come. And the invitation is always open for you. The invitation To live into that present reality and to accept the life that God has for you is always there
0: and always open. Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can hear the Bernie Church of Christ right here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, visit our website, BernieChurchOfChrist.org. Or call us at 830-249-2685. Again, that's 830-249-2685. Thank you once again for listening to the Burning Church of Christ. And I hope you have a blessed day.